0: Hey, so I'm going to intro our day, kind of orienting our hearts around the subject, the theme of today. And um, and then we'll have a break and then I'll come and talk at you more. So um, the first session is just basically introducing the habits of grace or posturing your hearts. And any time today, feel free to grab um, some more food or drink. I'm not offended, Um, but I hope you do have your Bibles with you or um, to open up. When um, I first heard the topic of the seminar that was planned when I wasn't around, (laughs) um, I saw they told me it's about on spiritual disciplines, and my first question was, "Why? We're going to get our leaders together. This is a rare treat. I mean, this is so wonderful to be with you, saints. You you are beloved." Uh, of the Lord and beloved of us and I love this saying even though it was made first by uh, a famous heretical pastor but he says God God loves you and I love you too Uh, I love that saying even though the guy who like made it famous is is uh, heretical Um, and um, but but I I want to say that I just feel like my heart is brimming with God's love for you God loves you and I love you too brothers and sisters and it's such a delight to um, be with you and labor with you. And um, I've just, this last week, I've been around a lot of church planners. It's the annual convention meeting for the uh, Midwest, uh, Minnesota-Wisconsin Baptist Convention. So I've been at that. And I've been at this SEND Network training, too, that I've been part of. And I've just been around a lot of other churches and leaders and leadership teams. And I'm just like, man, I wouldn't trade our church's team for the world. The elder t- eldership team, the wives, and as well, as especially you. Um, our church is made, uh, what's the word, Ma- made or broken? What's that term? Uh, yeah, it's make it or break it, you guys. However you can change the grammar of that, that sentence. Um, but, but our church rises and falls based off this group right here. Like seriously, this is the most important, you guys are the most important people of our church uh, outside Jesus. <laughs> And um, and so, so so why do I say all this? I, I just wanted to start off saying I love you guys, and I'm so grateful you're here. And you mean the world to the Lord. I mean, He, 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 he loves you. He delights in you, and you mean so much to us. And uh, I just feel His delight over you. So again, why this topic? Because why aren't we talking about counseling or troubled situations or leadership and all that kind of stuff? All that stuff will come in the future seminars, but we want to make sure we got our foundation set. Because if we don't have this we don't have intimacy, if we don't have this going on in a flourishing, life-giving way, then all the other stuff is not going to be worthwhile. Right. I mean, what's the number one consistent trait among all fallen leaders who have moral failings or burnout? What's the number one trait? Is it that they're, that they're, they're too famous? Platforms are too big? What, what is the number one trait among all of them consistently, across denominations, across years, is that... Somewhere along the line, they lost their first love. Somewhere along the lines, prayer became chore. Prayer became a means so that they can do work for God. Bible study became just something that they can, you know, prep so that they can preach or teach or counsel. And it no longer became a life-giving avenue to have communion with God. That's the number one trait among them all. You will have lots of different personality traits that differ, but that's going to be the overwhelming reality. In People who fall and leaders who fall. And it's kind of like Ephesus in Revelation. You see this in Revelation chapter 2. What does Jesus say? He said, you you guys are awesome with fighting for the truth. And you have not even grown weary of doing. You're fighting for the kingdom. But this I have against you. You have forgotten your first love. And church, we can be a church where we have our doctrine in order. We teach the right things. We even have great programs. We have all the great things. And maybe people will be like, wow, ABC's doing pretty well. Um, but if we forget our first love, then what's the point? What's the point? And what, where our hearts are at will overflow, either explicitly or implicitly, just seep into the hearts of our people. If we're not madly in love with the God of the universe, and that's our first love, then, then that will overflow into our people. And a passage I've been going to over and over again this last year, and if you could flip to your Bibles, John 15. John chapter 15. You, you would probably assume we would go here. There's a lot here. We can't go over it a lot. This is just a 10-minute session. Um, Let me set a timer real quick because you know me. Um, You know how I go. But John 15, just remind you of the imagery of a vine. And we are the branches. We are connected to the vine. We have no life on our own. We need the vine for sustenance. Without the vine, we're dead. And so imagine this picture of being connected, and that's you and me. And Jesus welcomes people, welcomes his his disciples, welcomes us. Because if you read John 14 through 17 later on, he makes it clear that this was not just for the disciples, but those who will believe one day. So that's us. So this passage is not just for them, it's for us and all God's people in all times and places. But look at verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Would you read this last part for me? For apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of us believe that regularly? And all you have to do, if you want to know the true answer to that, is you look at your prayer life. Look at how often we go into situations and we're not dependent and desperate for God's power. How often we parent in our own flesh. We do our work in our own flesh without an utter dependence on God as our life and our power. I, I had this imagery of me last year. As all of you guys know, I was on near burnout. And... It's kind of like a balloon, Um, or or you can even think of a vine since this is the passage, but I wasn't cut off from the vine last year, but it's like if you take a balloon and you look at the stem and you pinch it, maybe some air seeps through, but it's pinched, it's suffocating, but there's still some air. So I wasn't purely functioning out of the flesh last year, but I was largely depending on myself, my gifts, my, my effort, my activity to do a lot of work in ministry. And so though I had times on my knees and though I would pray in the car and though I'd pray in the shower and I'd, God help me, or I'd go into me, God help me, God help me. me." Largely, I was not abiding and beholding and enjoying God. And over time, you can't sustain that kind of pace. And the more responsibilities you have, the more kids you have, the more challenges you have in your life, the harder it is and slimmer the margins. When I was a single man, I was able to have lots of time with the Lord, Waste lots of time on YouTube, hang out with all my friends, and still have lots of time with God. I was like, well, hold off, because I had lots of margin. And as I have now four kids, more responsibilities in my life, more pressures, more challenges, the margin is so slim. And the enemy will go after that margin and try to kill it. <laughs> if you don't plan carefully, the enemy will plan for you. <laughs> and, and that happened to me. And I realize that when we talk about the disciplines of grace or habits of grace, I like calling it habits of grace or means of grace because, you know, the word discipline has positive but also negative connotations. You know, when you think about a date, if you even say, man, you need to have dates with your wife or your husband. It would be kind of weird if you call it a discipline. I have a discipline of dating my wife. Right. It's like you want to do it, you know, right. Because discipline has a negative connotation of like it's something I don't really want to do, but it's good for me. Like I have a discipline of eating kale, right? But no one likes it, right? I I think there's a fear of disciplines in our society, in Christians, because we're afraid of being pharisaical, being afraid of being legalist. And all of us know how we can feel a sense of self-importance, self-satisfaction if we had a week where we just crushed it in devotions. You just have a sense of like, man, I'm doing pretty good in my Christian life. God's pleased with me. God's happy with me. Um, um, and, and then there can be a subtle sense of self-righteousness seeping up that we feel entitled to something from God because you did your spiritual disciplines that week and so forth. Um, and so I think a lot of us feel this dread sometimes and this constant sense of shame and guilt of, of not doing enough, not praying enough, not reading enough, not meditating, not fasting enough, if we ever even fast. And it's just a, a, a sense of, of dread over us. And, and And I think all of you have heard this and you know this, but I just want to remind you that these spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace are not about earning. They're not about earning favor. God doesn't love you more because you had your quiet time, right? It's because you already have favor. We spend time with him. It's because I already have favor with my wife and she's committed to me in a covenant that we go on dates. I'm not trying to get her to love me. I'm not trying to get her to commit to me. It's because I'm already committed to her and she's already committed to me that I get to go and have dates with her and deepen our relationship. God does not love you more with your quiet time because your quiet time, you are just positioning yourself to receive the love that's already there on the table. It's already there. You're just putting yourself in the stream of love and grace and receiving it. And for leaders, our danger is that these disciplines can merely be uh, functional because we're trying to serve other people. Because we know we need something to say. We know that we need help. And in a relationship like that, just any marital relationship like that, functionally long-term, will die if all of it is, is merely u- utility, practical, because I need, I need to do this because we need to com- accomplish a task. And yes, there is a task to be accomplished by us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but first and foremost, we're lovers of God. One day the task will cease. There will be no mission one day. And then it'll just be worship. And if we... Forget that, that order, and let mission be the primary driver of all of our intimacy and communion. Then our hearts will shrivel long-term. We can't let that be, because one day we won't have mission. Mission will end, and it will just be Him. And I think for us, sometimes there's even a fear, a failure of looking incompetent, not prepared enough. So our prayer time and our Bible time can be driven towards just, it's ultimately about self. So I want to tell you for the first time or maybe for the millionth time that these habits of grace are gifts from God. They're gifts. They're gifts for His people so that we can see Him and enjoy Him, behold Him and enjoy Him more. So let me give you my Bethlehemian kind of long definition of spiritual uh, uh, means of grace if you're taking notes. Habits of grace are gifts from God for us to progressively grow in beholding and enjoying Him while... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Trans- <laughs> All right. while transforming us into the image of Jesus and empowering us for his purposes. So there's, there's three parts to that. There's the it, enjoying God, knowing, beholding, enjoying God, which really results into us becoming like Jesus and then simultaneously empowering us for the purposes he has for us. So the shorthand I just say is beholding, enjoying God not earning God's love not because you're a good Christian or not because this is what what you should do as a leader but because you want to enjoy and behold him that's the heart so let me go quickly over the ground the posture the purpose okay the ground of how we can even have time with God if you, if you have bible philippians 3:12 real quick it's going to it's going to speed up i think our time i love this passage because like Philippians also 2, it, it really helps fight against this mindset of is it all God or is it all us? How does that work, right? Um, if, as we think about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, but I love this. Not that I already attained it or, or already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because why? Christ Jesus has made me his own. (laughs) What? I press on. So this is active. I am pressing on to make it my own. Because, why could I, how could I do such a thing? Because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. And so the ground as we approach God with these habits is that we are already his own. The finished work of Christ gives us access to his throne room. We're not trying to barge open the door's of heaven, They're already open for us through the blood of Christ. We're just entering His way that He's already made for us. And so the posture, the ground before we can even pray, read, do anything, is that it's already been finished. And so that's why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, both for the self-righteous Pharisee in us and the guilt-laden sinner that dwells in us. And and all of us here probably are on a spectrum in different seasons of life. We gravitate towards more of the guilt ridden sinner or the the self righteous Pharisee. And we let the gospel pour over us and ground us. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm forgiven. I'm not earning. I'm forgiven. And, And for the self righteousness in us, no, Jesus has already done. I have nothing to accomplish. It's all Him. I love this quote from Dallas Willard Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And you look at 1 Corinthians 15. What does Paul say? I said, I worked harder than all the apostles. But it's not me, but the grace of God working in me. It's not me, but the grace of God working in me. All right, I got to speed up. So what's the posture? So that's the ground, the finished work of Christ. The posture is being poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirits. First be I do, right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. There is no other way. I remember <clears throat> some, sometime a few months ago, I just thought to myself, man, I am so tired of being perpetually weak and needy of God. Perpetually feeling I can't do it on my own. And I, and I said this out loud in my kitchen. Is there any other way? No. Yeah. Weakness is the way. A constant state of childlike dependence and utter helplessness is the only way that is the way. And when we lose that and we, we, we take back the range and say, we can do it or I want to feel self-sufficient, that's when we lose everything. Weakness is the way, church. The more, most mature of our church are those who are most in tune with their weakness and most in tune with their helplessness. So Christianity is not about who are the strongest, but who are most in tune with their weakness. And so that's the posture as we come before the Lord. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Right? Poor in spirit. Needy. Now, here's the purpose to see. 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you want to flip there real quick. Last passage we're going to go to. I'm trying to do a lot in a little time, which is my pattern in life. (laughs) And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a lot here, obviously. But the ultimate purpose in our habits of grace is to see. It's to see. It's to behold Him. Positioning our hearts to behold the glory of the Lord. Everything that comes, the enjoying, the knowing, the the growing in our faith, and growing in our our sanctification, the empowering permission—all all that is a result of the seeing. The seeing must come first. And oftentimes we flip it. We make all that stuff the goal. Oh God, I need to pray to get ready to serve this person. I need to do this because I need to blink. But the first goal, whenever you open your Bible, whenever you praise, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know you. That's, that's the heart's purpose behind everything that we do with our habits of grace and everything flow. So how does this actually work out in practicality? I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but what you're doing is you're positioning, positioning your heart not to earn grace, but to receive the grace that's already been given. So here are a couple of quick illustrations. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with this, this last part. <clears throat> you are like Elijah setting up an altar to God, pouring on the, the sacrifice, the wood, and even water. And, and maybe you can just think the water he pours on is, is our our foolishness, our, our baggage, all the things that distract, we put it all there and we wait for God to set it on fire. So that's the habits of grace in my mind. It's, it's you, you're not, it's God giving the grace, but it's us just positioning ourselves to receive the grace. God has promised uh, uh, where his grace will come and, and, and we're just saying, okay, I'm gonna step, step into that stream and I'm gonna hold out my hands and, and more times than not, he's gonna meet us there. It's like you are Zacchaeus, Getting up in the tree. Jesus has to call you to come over. But you're you're positioning yourself to see him. You're like Bartimaeus on the road. You have to call out. You have to call out to have sight. And then he sees you and calls you over and gives you sight. And that's that's how I view spiritual disciplines. I'm just Bartimaeus. I'm Zacchaeus. I'm Elijah. I'm just putting myself in the place. I'm setting things up and I'm going to trust God will show up. So when I do my reading, when I'm in prayer, I'm just setting it all up, trusting that God's grace will empower it and light it. And so that's, that's our heart in all of this. So, so I, I just urge you, leaders, This if we don't have this, um, ultimately we're going to be living the Christian life on our own strength. And, we, we'll, and, and so give yourself to these means of grace, whatever it takes. It, is, it must be the number one, number one priority in your life. Where everything else is scheduled around it. Don't, schedule, don't try to schedule habits of grace in your life as if it's secondary and all the other stuff are primary and you have to fit it in. No, 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 no. It's the primary and everything else like your work, your family, everything has to fit around that. Do you see the difference? That is a radically different way to view this. This is the most primary thing you can do in your day, in your week, and everything else needs to figure out how to plan around it. Just like my family comes first before you guys, and I have to fit you guys in, let your time with Jesus be number one, and everything else fits around that. And in doing that, God will will pour out an avalanche of grace to empower you so that even if you have little time, and even though your margin is is tight, everything is going to be empowered and infused by His Spirit. And you'll be more fruitful, more joyful, more empowered. So let's pray. Father, there's so much here. But Lord, I do pray that you would reorient all of our hearts to remember that all of these, they're not guilt trips, they're not ways to earn, but they're ways to see. We want to see you. Show us your glory. Reorient our hearts so that every time we open our Bibles, every time we open our mouths to pray, every time we do any habit of grace, we know that it's that that's ultimately because you've already done it's already been finished and we want to receive. We want to see you, God. You have a banquet for us. We don't want we, we A.W. Pink's words to be true where so many Christians will weep when they enter into eternity because they realize they could have lived like kings, yet they live like paupers spiritually. We want to say that we, we took hold of all that you have for us. By your grace, not our own effort, but your grace. Help us, Lord. Help us speak to us. Help reorient us. Bless us. This day, we love you, and I do pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, so that may we see you more. Help us receive you and see you more. In Jesus' name, amen.